Welcome to the Redeemer Church Podcast. Thanks for listening. At Redeemer, we are committed to following Jesus and connecting people to God's transforming love. To stay connected to all that's happening here, visit RedeemerTulsa.org or connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And now here's Pastor Denise McKinney. Well, good morning. Have you ever imagined something would go very differently than it did? I have so many events like that in my life, but there's one in particular from my youth ministry years here at Redeemer that I think has kind of gone down as Denise McKinney legend. I'm sure it's been embellished, but this is how I remember it, and these events actually, unfortunately, are all very true. So... Our youth ministry was growing, the church was growing, and we had outgrown our youth space, which is where our youth ministry offices are right now. And we had a new room. We were so excited, and our leadership kids had done a great job getting their friends here, and we were trying to just have a really fun first morning in the new room. We packed it out, and I got up in front of all these high schoolers, and it was so exciting and so fun. But what you have to understand is I was not a cool youth pastor, and never was able to really achieve cool status, but I would see cool youth pastors take stacks of flyers. And they would take these flyers and they would throw them up in the air and they would float down and people would grab them in the magic of the moment and go, yes, I'm coming to your next event because you're such a cool place and I want to be there. And I thought we would do that that morning. Except that I did not take into consideration the physics involved in how you get flyers to go up into the air and to float down magically into people's hands. So I finished the announcements. I took the stack of flyers and I threw them straight and hard and they smacked a student right in the forehead. She was a visitor. There are people in this room who witnessed this event. It was Jessica Carter's friend. She did tell me the visitor never came back. So I blew it. And I have to tell you, I did not know what it meant. I didn't know where the saying, fall out of your chair laughing, came from. But I witnessed it that morning. An entire room of high schoolers on the floor laughing. Like just fell out of their chairs. And it, I think I just went home because I don't even think I could teach after that. Because I could not get control of the room again. It just didn't turn out like I expected. And we have been talking about this journey that Jesus is on moving towards Jerusalem. Which, by the way, in the story of Holy Week, ends up turning out a lot differently than people expected, right? But all along the way, Luke loves to tell these stories of how things got reversed. It wasn't what they thought. It was a surprise ending. And last week, Bill talked to you about the Good Samaritan and how the, the least likely person to stop and help the wounded person on the road is the one who did at cost of time and energy and money for him. And he modeled for us that sometimes we don't think that we're the one that's supposed to do it, but God says, oh, yes, you are. You are the neighbor. And then in the next story, we have Mary and Martha at their home Jesus and company are coming, and Martha is so busy trying to prepare food and get things ready, and Mary's in the living room just listening to all the conversation and what Jesus is saying. And Martha comes out and says, hey, Jesus, make her come in here and help me, because that's what she's supposed to be doing. And Jesus says, I'm not going to take that from her. I actually think she's doing what is best. 
And you actually probably should just stop worrying about all that stuff and fussing about the kitchen and come out here and sit and be a part of this conversation. Surprise endings, reversals, answers that we weren't expecting. So today we're looking at Luke 11, verses 1 through 13. And I'm reading it from the New Living Translation, and that will be on the screen. But if you want to follow along in your own Bible or the ones in the seats in front of you, you are welcome to do so. As we listen to this, though, I want you to think about what is in this conversation that Jesus is having and this teaching that makes you go, huh? What? Luke 11, 1 through 13. Once Jesus was in a certain place praying, as he finished, one of his disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. Jesus said, this is how you should pray. Father, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. Give us each day the food we need and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation. Then, teaching them more about prayer, he used this story. Suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight, wanting to borrow three loaves of bread. You say to him, a friend of mine has just arrived for a visit, and I have nothing for him to eat. And suppose he calls out from his bedroom, don't bother me. The door is locked for the night. My family and I are all in bed. I can't help you. But I tell you this, though he won't do it for friendship's sake, if you keep knocking long enough, he will get up and give you whatever you need because of your shameless persistence. And so I tell you, keep on asking, and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking, and you will find. Keep on knocking, and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives Everyone who seeks finds, and to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. You fathers, if your children ask for a fish, do you give them a snake instead? Or if they ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This is God's word. Okay, so the little part at the beginning, the little prayer, we know it is the Lord's Prayer. You heard different words this morning, but many of us have prayed it. Many of us may even have it memorized. It's the Lord's Prayer. It seems and sounds pretty normal, right? But then there's this part about being obnoxiously persistent in asking for bread to a friend in the middle of the night. And that that is how what is asked for is received by being obnoxiously persistent. And then it gets even weirder, I think, because the last section says, hey, parents, if your kids ask you for something that they kind of need, they're hungry, a fish, an egg, are you going to give them a snake or a scorpion? And it makes you go, wasn't the question, how are we supposed to pray? I thought that was where we started. And what is this answer? I I think he answered him. I think if we peel back the layers of what Jesus is trying to say to them about what it means to pray and how we pray, we 
will be surprised at what he's asking us to do. So he says to them, this is how we should pray. Now, I want to read this prayer to you one more time, and I want you to do me a favor. There's a pen behind you, and there's a little note-taking section in your worship guide. Just grab those, and as I, as I read it to you, jot down a word that jumps out at you, or a couple, or a phrase, something that just hits you as interesting or good or meaningful. And then, if you want, you can also write something that interprets it in a way that means something to you, like your paraphrase of what this is. Listen to these words, to this prayer. Father, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. Give us each day the food we need and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation. Give you five seconds to just write something down. Think about what jumped out for you. Here's what I get out of it. I feel like this is the poster prayer for it's not about me. I don't know about you. I have a really wonderful way of disguising wanting things to be about me. I think I was in my mid-20s when I realized that I was kind of a little prima donna. Now, those of you that know me really well are like, no surprise, Denise. But for me, it was. It was a little bit of a surprise in my mid-20s that I kind of liked the world revolving around me and getting my way and getting the things that I asked for and finessing my way through a situation to have the outcome that I wanted. But this prayer says, hey, it's not about me. In this prayer, there are no I's or me's. In this prayer, there is calling on the Father, and then you, your, us, we, everything in relationship to God and each other. Lord, your name, the world you created, what you do, You give us what we need. You forgive. You show us how to forgive. And you keep us out of trouble if we let you. So I think that what Jesus is saying, he's saying this is how we should pray. We should pray for what God wants. This prayer is what God wants for us. He wants us to seek him and what he is doing in the world and in us. He wants us to be nourished by him. He wants us to experience his forgiveness, to offer his forgiveness, to stay out of trouble because he will help us do that. He wants his priorities in our life. And here's the good news. The good news about praying for what God wants is what God wants for us is really good. What he wants for you and for me is really good. It includes all the good things that we need every day. His presence, his mission to bring us back to him, nourishment, forgiveness, healthy relationships, direction away from the stupid stuff that gets us in trouble. Eugene Peterson, in the message, writes this prayer like this. Father, reveal who you are. Set the world right. 
Keep us alive with three square meals. Keep us forgiving, forgiven with you and forgiving others. And keep us safe from ourselves and the devil. Jesus, through this prayer and telling them this is how we should pray, is that pray for what God wants. Because what he wants is really good. And then he goes on and he tells them more about prayer. He talks about waking up your neighbor in the middle of the night and eating three loaves of bread for unexpected guests. The neighbor says, no way. But if you keep knocking and you keep bugging your friend, guess what? Just because you're driving him crazy and he wants to go back to sleep, he's going to get up and give you what you ask for so that he can go back to bed. It seems like Jesus is kind of painting a picture here of what happens when we keep praying for what God wants. Not just pray it, but keep persistently praying it. But let's just stop for a second and think about this illustration that he's using. Remember, it's a, it was an illustration in their world and in their context. In those days, hospitality rules meant that when someone comes to your home after a long journey, they've got dusty feet from sandals and we wash feet. We provide food and drink and nourishment and replenishment from the long journey. We do all of these things, and that is what we do when somebody comes to our home. But I don't think in this illustration the person knew he was going to have guests. And when the guests show up, he doesn't have what he needs to take care of them. So, in effect, it's kind of a hospitality emergency. So he is desperate to take care of these guests. They are hungry. They are very tired. And he wants to take care of them. See, I don't think we can totally relate. In in 2019 with smartphones and FaceTime and convenience stores, unless there's a fire in the house next door or it truly is a life and death emergency on our street, we probably aren't going to have somebody banging on our door in the middle of the night saying, please help me. So that image is a little foreign for us. But in their time, there wasn't a convenience store. They made all of their food at home. So to have somebody show up and not have these ingredients, not have what they need to take care of their guest, there was no place to run except to the friend that they knew they could count on. Now, the question is, okay, wait, but he says, if you harass the friend long enough, he will eventually help you. Does that mean that if I'm obnoxious enough with God about what I'm asking for, he's going to give it to me? Is God the irritated friend and neighbor? I actually don't think that that really fits with what we know about who God is and how he cares about us. And again, I feel like sometimes Jesus paints a picture, but he's not trying to have a story where every detail has an equal detail in the meaning. It's more a picture of why he wants us to keep praying that prayer. This illustration is not that God is the irritated neighbor who doesn't want to be bothered in the middle of the night and who gives in out of exasperation. That's not who God is. That is not how he feels about us. This story is about the friend that we can call on at any time of day or night with the words and the prayer that Jesus just gave Asking for the things that he already knows that he wants for us. All those good things he wants for us. It's praying that prayer over and over and over again. And when we ask for all the things that he already wants for us, and if we keep on calling out for those needed things in our lives, 
He will do it. He will answer that prayer. He will say yes to swooping into our world and making things right and using us to make things right and helping us know what it means to honor him and to live for him. He will forgive us. He will teach us how to forgive others. He will nourish our souls and our bodies. We just keep praying that prayer. And if we are persistent in that prayer, he will gladly give us what we ask for. Because when we keep praying for what God wants, God gives us what we really need. When we keep praying for what God really wants, he gives us what we need. Do you know the story of blind Bartimaeus in Mark 10? I love this guy. He's along the road. He's been blind his whole life. He knows Jesus is coming along with his entourage, and he starts screaming at the top of his lungs, Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on me. He says it over and over again, and the people are shushing him. Shh, stop. He doesn't have time for you. He has more important things to do. You don't matter. Stop. You're being obnoxious. And Jesus is like, I'd like to meet him. Anyway. Jesus heals him. See, I think blind Bartimaeus was praying this prayer. If I were to sum up that sentence that he kept saying over and over again, Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on me. Jesus, I know who you are, and I know what you can do. I know that you are the one, that you are God's son. Maybe he didn't know that exact part, but he knew something was amazing and special. I know who you are. I know who you are, and I know what you can do. Do it in me. Do that in my life. And Jesus gladly answered. That's why it's called shameless persistence. It's this attitude of, I don't care who's watching. There are wounded people on the road, and I am going to forget the cost or inconvenience, and I'm going to rescue them. I don't care if my house or my car or my kids' accomplishments impress others. I want to learn how to sit and hear the voice of Jesus speaking into my life. I don't care if I look strange, if I decide to drink less at the party or keep my mouth shut and walk away from a gossip session. I just want him to help me stay out of trouble. And then if I stumble, show me that grace that heals and restores and then help me offer that same grace to someone else who is in trouble. I just don't care if I look strange to the world or I irritate the people around me with my shameless prayer that God would break through and do what only he can do in this world and in my life. I just don't care. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I want him to do what only he can do. And so I tell you, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking, and you will find. Keep on knocking, and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Okay, so the last weird part. Finally, Jesus looks at them, and he says, Parents, if your children ask for a fish, are you going to give them a snake? And if they ask for an egg... Are you going to give him a scorpion? 
And then he says this, so if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? He kind of tucks in that, by the way, I have this gift of the Holy Spirit. And when you ask and you pray that prayer, I'm going to give that to you. Why? Why the Holy Spirit? Because God's Spirit is his presence with us. It's the movement in our hearts when we know we need to make a turn in our life. It is the nudge to go help the stranger. It is the hope that we have in the midst of despair. That is God's Spirit at work in us. And that is the gift that he gives us. When God gives us what we really need, his presence, his spirit, we find our way. We find our way. I want to illustrate this for you. Today's St. Patrick's Day. We've all got our green on. Well, some of us. If your neighbor does not have green on, refrain from pinching. It is not the appropriate time or place. But with the stories of green beer and shamrocks and we should wear green so we don't get pinched. Hmm. Did you know that there's a story of a man who lived a remarkable life and he lived a remarkable life because he continued to pray this kind of prayer? Let me tell you about St. Patrick's journey. He wasn't Irish, by the way. He was British Celt. And as a teenager, he was kidnapped by pagans and drugged to Ireland, enslaved. They forced him to be a shepherd. He was malnourished, beaten, wounded, all the terrible things. And when he went, he did not believe in God. He describes himself as kind of a spoiled child, wealthy, didn't need God. But in those moments of being alone and in despair, he turned to God. Listen to his own words of how he describes what happened to him. By the way, it's like 380 AD. This is a long time ago. But after I came to Ireland every day, I had to tend sheep. And many times a day, I prayed the love of God and his fear came to me more and more. And my faith was strengthened and my spirit was moved so that in a single day, I would say as many as a hundred prayers and almost as many in the night. And this even when I was staying in the woods and on the mountains and I used to get up for prayer before daylight through snow, through frost, through rain. And I felt no harm. Six years of that. And then one day, God gives him a vision. And in the vision, God says, Patrick, your ship waits for you. Uh, I'm not seeing a ship, Lord. There's no ship around here. So he escapes on foot, finds a ship, talks the sailors into carrying him back to England. His family welcomes him. He takes on religious studies. He becomes a minister. And then... One night, he has a dream, and in the dream, someone delivers a letter to him from the Irish people saying, Patrick, come back and bring us the gospel. Now, I don't know about you, 
but I am not going back to the people who did that to me. That's my first response. Patrick's like, I'll go. So he goes back. He's in his 20s now. And he decides that he is going to, he is the one that can go to these people. He understands them. He spent six years with them. He can reach them. He can tell the story in a way that matters to them and changes their lives. So he's going to trust God for what God wants for him. And he's going to go. He goes back. There's still mistreatment. It's not an easy journey. But do you know what? By the time Patrick died, an entire nation had done a 180. There were so many people following God and turning their lives to Christ that they were no longer considered a pagan nation. He is the reason his willingness to go where God asked him to go, to ask God, what do you want? I'm, I'm in a terrible situation, but God, what do you want? How can I honor your name? How can I be a part of the work you are doing in this world. Nourish me, forgive me, but help me know what I'm supposed to go do and who I'm supposed to be. These are his words. I must not, however, hide God's gift, which he bestowed upon me in the land of my captivity. He saw those six years as a gift Because then I earnestly sought him, and there I found him. And he saved me from all evil, because I believed his spirit that dwelled in me. God shamelessly persists in calling us to live for his purposes. Did you know he's shamelessly persistent too? He wants us to ask him, what do you want? so that we can shamelessly keep on asking him to be at work in us. Let me give you these phrases, these three phrases, one more time. This is how we should pray for what God wants. That's where it starts. Now, I know I've got a list of things that I desperately need and desire. I think I desperately need, and I desire and I want. But God says, how about we start here? Because I will give you all that you need. And in those answers, you will find that the pieces of these requests that need to be answered will happen. And if they don't, you'll still know that I am with you, that I love you, that I've got you. This is how we should pray for what God wants. When we keep praying for what God wants, God gives us what we really need. And when God gives us what we really need, need, we find our way. Even when it's a very difficult way. I'd like you to join me this morning in prayer. Just close your eyes. I want to read this prayer over you from the message again. Make it your prayer this morning. Father, reveal who you are to me to us set the world right keep us alive with three square meals keep us forgiven with you and forgiving others and keep us safe from ourselves and the devil
Amen.